Hey, Fitness Business Secrets listeners. In today's podcast, we're talking to Kisa Davison. She's really interesting in how she's approached her gym and real estate, actually, business model. So in today's episode, we're going to learn the personal and financial crisis that Kisa faced and how yoga ended up being her saving grace. Also, we'll find out how she opened her first gym with her husband in the middle of a recession, but how it's still able to be immediately profitable. Also, we'll learn about their under $10,000 budget to launch their first gym and a really interesting pre-launch fundraising formula, I'll call it, which is how Kisa and her husband raised money to open their first gym with a pizza party and a paid in full membership offer to their friends. Then we're going to get to something so exciting, how she's building a real estate empire along with a gym empire. Stay tuned. Fitness coaches get more clients by learning the secret techniques successful trainers and gym owners are using to grow their business in person and online. Create multiple streams of income by training clients online, selling challenges, and growing your membership. This is the Fitness Business Secrets Podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Oshita. I've built two fitness businesses to about a half million dollars each by improving marketing, sales, and operations. Let's grow your sales and your clients. I'm so excited about today's show because it talks about opening the gym on a budget during a recession and with your partner. What's interesting about Kisa's story is that it might seem the odds were stacked against them. They didn't have a lot of money. They had four kids to feed. They were living in a small community and a huge recession had just started and they had never worked or owned a gym before. With that being said, if you are very passionate about opening your own studio, if you're smart and creative, you might be able to find a really good opportunity. Maybe you were thinking about opening a studio space, but it was always expensive. I still don't think you should go for Maine and Maine and get the most expensive first floor retail spot, but maybe you can find that side store on the second floor that they haven't rented for a while and you can strike a deal with them. One idea is to do split revenue so that even if there's another quarantine or traffic takes a bit longer to pick up, this keeps your rent manageable and it works out for the landlord and you. For the landlord, let's say they weren't gonna, they didn't think they're gonna rent it out. Now they're actually making some money and you help them see the vision of the gym blooming as the economy recovers. I'm gonna detail this just a little bit more. So imagine there's that retail unit that's not super on main and main of the shopping center that you're near and it has been vacant for a little bit since the landlord might be thinking it might be hard to fill this space and i'm not making any money off of it they'll probably be more open to talking about some type of split revenue deal so they get a percentage of your revenue every time you make a sale in that way, they really are your business partner. So you wanna make sure you do get along with them because you're gonna be sharing sales data to them. And you wanna make sure you're seen as trustworthy since they're gonna to have to trust your sales data and trust you as a business person since they're gonna be depending on that for the rent for that retail space. When you're talking to them, the things you might wanna really bring up is how you're gonna make the space more vibrant. It's kind of a sore eye to see an empty retail space and doesn't actually help the overall value of the shopping center. So by filling it, that's a plus. They're also gonna, of course, get revenue. You wanna help them see that you're gonna grow it and that you're gonna bring in more customers to the shopping center as you grow the business. You'll definitely wanna put some type of term limited to one, two, or five years, depending on 
what you think is better for you since you don't want to be paying more than rent at some point. One more idea I want to throw out is finding a pop-up space. That's a spot where you don't actually plan to build up a long-term business there, but it's great to test the market. So if you are unsure how people are going to respond in that area, what you do is locate a spot, a retail store that doesn't look like it's going to be rented out for a while. See if you can find the landlord or property manager's information, preferably if it's local or owner managed and ask to do a one to three to four month lease to see if it works out. Of course, this is better for spaces that are more rent ready and fitness studios that don't need a lot of equipment. By doing this, you can test the waters. You can see what the market's like, how much space you need, how much you can charge, what type of customers pass through without really, I don't know, committing to a even two year lease. Things are a little weird right now and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So I just want you to think creatively how you can minimize your risk and maximize the opportunities that are out there. I think her story is really inspiring because it shows that if you can keep your budget down, your opening costs down, and your rent down, you can really still find success even in a difficult market. Hey, Fitness Business Secrets listeners. I'm so excited because today I'm talking to Kisa Davison, who is the co-founder and head coach at Straight Blast Gym of Montana, which has three locations, yeah, in Kalispell, Whitefish, and Missoula. She also coaches other fitness entrepreneurs. In addition, she has four nearly grown kids and even has time to manage her family's residential construction company and investment properties. In addition, if there could be more, she has much charity work and she has founded a Gorilla Booster Club, a nonprofit to support Montana grappling athletes. So she clearly has systems to run her gym efficiently and she's accomplished a lot. So I'm so excited to have her. How are you doing today, Kisa? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Thanks. And thanks for having me on this, Christy. I, uh, full disclosure, this is maybe the second or third podcast I've ever been on. So forgive me if I'm a little rusty. Oh, no. You, you sound great. And I think you'll probably give us some real information, which is what we're all here to hear. You have three gyms. And I know that you're actually partners with your husband. And you've had these gyms for a while. So there's a lot of things that a lot of experiences I think you can share with our listeners. The first thing I'm going to start with was, how did you even get into the fitness industry? I think you started off in real estate. I did, actually. And before real estate, I worked in telecom. And before telecom, I worked in education, in literacy specifically, community literacy. I was not a very active kid growing up at all in terms of sports and organized athletics. It just wasn't my jam. But in college, my freshman year of college, it was actually one of my grandmothers who recommended that I start yoga. I have a pretty severe scoliosis, and she said, you know, that is exactly what she would do for her scoliosis. And of course, I asked her, I said, oh, do you do yoga, Grandma? And she's like, no, I would never do that. <laughs> but she recommended that I start yoga, and I did. I picked up a book at the library and started kind of self-teaching and eventually picked up a couple of classes and fell in love with the practice. Now, given it wasn't necessarily a sport, but I really fell in love with the, the practice and the process of learning how my body works, learning to pay attention, learning to dig deep, learning to focus, 
And then also just learning that those immobilities, those limitations, those obstacles that I used to perceive didn't necessarily have to be obstacles, that they could actually be opportunities for growth and for strength. Oh, okay. So when I started uh, yoga, it was just kind of a personal practice of mine. And I did uh, yoga throughout all my pregnancies. And then when my youngest son was a few months old, I just almost had a nervous breakdown. Actually, I probably did have a nervous breakdown. I had four kids, three and a half and younger. My oldest had, has severe seizure disorder caused by a brain malformation, cortical dysplasia. And I was just at my wit's end. The housing market was starting to fall apart. Our business was starting to fall apart. And my mother was on the phone with her and she said, you need to get your ass into a yoga class with a teacher. You don't have to be in charge. Just go learn from someone. Take a break. And I did. So I walked into a studio um, that was just down the street from my house. And within months, I was completely devoted to this practice of Iyengar yoga, specifically. Let's see, I'd probably been training with Paul, my teacher, for maybe six months. And he said, have you ever thought about teaching? I said, absolutely not. I've never thought about that. But it sounds fun. Sure, why not? So he trained me to teach. And at the same time, you know, again, my world is falling apart. I found that the practice gave me a sort of strength and stability and stillness that I really needed to get through these tough times that I was going through, that we were going through at that time. So long story short, I threw myself into teaching yoga. My husband at the same time was training in jujitsu. We lived just outside of Portland, Oregon at that time. And he was also coaching in jujitsu. We ended up moving to Kalispell, Montana for, again, construction and real estate. And the market was a little bit slower to fall apart here in Montana, but it definitely fell apart. And when it did fall apart, we found that the only thing we had to fall back on, both for our mental state of mind, but also as uh, an income generating activity was our coaching. So he was coaching jujitsu. I was coaching yoga, and we decided we decided to open up the very first straight blast gym of Montana. I guess that's not only how I got into fitness, but how you can see how tightly intertwined fitness has been for me in coaching, and also now as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you mentioned that was around 2008 that you guys opened Straight Blast Fitness. I'm a Straight Blast that's, Gym. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yep. And the headquarters for SBG is in Portland, Oregon. Um, the founder of SBG, Matt Thornton, is uh, my husband's coach and my coach as well. And so he gave us permission to open an affiliate location. There's actually 75 plus affiliate locations all over the world. Probably the most no- notable is in Ireland. John Cavanaugh runs that gym and his kind of I guess most popular MMA fighter, Conor McGregor is kind of a household name in the UFC. So we're, we're three locations out of many, many locations worldwide, but all the locations are individually owned. Oh, wow. Okay. So these are 
would would you call them franchises where you pay a franchise fee? No, it's it's officially it's an association. So you pay a licensing fee to be able to, to have permission to use all the trademarked materials and the logo and the name. And then as an association, we follow kind of a very specific way of coaching. Matt Thornton developed this system of coaching and training in the martial arts probably 25 years ago, uh, aliveness, where instead of repeating dead patterns and kind of pretending as if you know what it means to have a resisting opponent, you actually get in and train with a resisting opponent. So it cuts back on or cuts down on some of the kind of fantasy martial arts where, for example, some of the katas that people do, they look beautiful and it's very much like a dance, but when it comes down to an actual altercation, would this actually work? That system of training is definitely shared by all the SBGs worldwide, as well as the business practice and the kind of coaching experience that we create for all of our students, all of our members. And that's, I think it's best summarized by our slogan, one tribe, one vibe, meaning I can walk into any SBG in the world and not only will the material be familiar to me and the training practices familiar to me, but I'll be welcomed with open arms as a sister or a cousin from a different gym. So that international organization, although it's really just a loosely defined association, the loyalty and the commitment to authentic training practices is definitely shared worldwide. Wow. That's awesome. So in 2008, (laughs) yeah, in 2008, in the middle or the beginning of this recession, you guys, you know, open your own gym and and I understand like you just moved. So that was expensive and you, you probably put a lot of money into this real estate project that you guys were doing. So how much did it cost for you to open this gym? And especially at this time, if someone was thinking about opening in a gym at this time and how hard, how long did it take you guys to be? We were immediately profitable. And here's, here's how we did it. First of all, I think it's important, especially in times like this, for us to remind ourselves that the key to moving forward is to move forward. We have to be comfortable with what's uncomfortable. And there have been so many times in my life where my husband and I look at each other And we take a deep breath and my eyes get really big and his eyes get really big and we go, okay, let's go, let's do it. When times are good, we don't always think about the worst case scenario, but as a general practice, it's one that I've adopted over the years. So during that time in 2008, when we opened the gym, it was all we could do. It was Thanksgiving. My husband had just been laid off from his company. It was the dead of winter in Montana. I was a realtor. My husband being laid off from his company meant that the houses he was supposed to build that I was supposed to sell were never going to happen. So I suddenly had no clients in a community, a very small community that was in the middle of a recession. It just, it wasn't going to work. So we looked at each other and I said, look, I don't, I don't want to leave Montana. I love it here. I want to raise our kids here. He agreed. And I said, well, what else can we do? And my husband said, well, there's only two things I know how to do. I can build houses and I can teach jiu-jitsu. said, well, let's open a gym. So we found a space, signed a six-month lease. It was 750 square feet. It was $750 a month. My husband was getting unemployment checks for those six months. For a family of four, we were, he was bringing in 
$1,638 a month, I think. We just hustled. One of my friends recently kind of coined this term or this title for me that I'm the crisis cowgirl. And we laugh about it, but what that really means is that when the shit hits the fan, I know how to hustle. So I picked up, you know, whatever teaching gigs I could get here and there. I was actually running books for a local grocery store, whatever we could do to keep food on the table. All the while, the gym was kind of our side hustle. We showed up to clean the bathrooms, mop the mats, shovel the walk, and coach the classes and sign everybody up. So it took six months and we had quickly outgrew our space. There was a building across the street that I had always, since we'd moved to town, it, this building sits right on the corner and it two sides of it are windows. And I've always thought that would make such a beautiful yoga room with all the great sunlight. So we went over across the street because the business had closed down that was in that space, talked to the landlords and ended up signing a year lease for 1,800, for 1,800 square feet. And about six months later, we had outgrown that space. We went to the landlords and said, hey, we need more space. We don't want to leave. And they said, okay, why don't you swap spaces with this? Because the total building is about 7,000 square feet. In the end, about another two years later, we ended up purchasing the building from them. And that's, I guess, just to cut to the chase, that's how quickly and how well our business grew during a time when it was a recession. No one was growing. Yeah, totally. that's amazing. Like when you started that first space that was 750 square feet, how much did it cost for you to get the, all the materials and the equipment in there? And did you so have to we, like renovate a bathroom? We did. We did a lot of, well, we did a lot of cleanup and painting. And it's amazing what a can of paint will do to any space. And we fixed the space up in such a way that it felt both clean, comfortable, welcoming, but at the end of the day, it was utilitarian. So we didn't spend money on making it fancy. We spent money on getting the equipment we needed. I actually recently found in one of my notebooks, a note from my dad, because during this time I called him up and he said, well, babe, why don't you move back home? There's plenty of construction jobs in Western Kansas. And I believe my words were thanks, but no thanks. I had no desire to move back to Western Kansas. But I did ask him for a loan. He said, how much do you need? And I said, and I can't remember this amount now. I think it was $1,348 or $1,342 or something like that. And that was what I needed to buy the yoga props and some of the miscellaneous materials we needed. We ended up also, so he sent me a check for that. And it was a long-term loan that I still haven't paid back to this day. He won't let me. And then we also purchased some used mats from, for the, for jujitsu, some used tatami mats. And we were able to negotiate with the gym owner had, was shutting his gym down. And so we negotiated with him and we were able to purchase those kind of in installment payments. Overall, it cost us about four thousand, four dollars to $5,000 to open the gym, just in equipment, plus the rent, the utilities. Like it was inexpensive by today's standards. But remember, we were also in a recession. So landlords were dropping their prices. People were scrambling to try and sell whatever goods they had because they didn't know where their next paycheck was coming from. And we just were able to, to take advantage of that opportunity. 
what we also did during that time is that we we got very creative in raising the capital so my dad loaned some money but what we also did was we invited a group of guys that my husband had been training with there was not there was a very loose group of people who were practicing jujitsu or training when we moved to town and my husband immediately you know clicked in with them he was a purple belt at that time and the most skilled in the area so he quickly became kind of the coach that everyone looked to when we decided we were going to open the gym he we contacted everyone we met at a local pizza joint bought everybody pizza and beer and then put in front of them a draft schedule for the new upcoming SBG location and cut a deal. We said anyone who's willing to help us put up this capital, we're selling a one-year membership for, I think it was $1,068 for one year. Or if you'd like to pay your first month right now, this was in, I think at the end of November. Yes, it was right after Thanksgiving. If you'd like to pay your first month right now, all of those people were absolutely committed to seeing us open an SBG location. They loved the way my husband coached. They loved the way I coached. They were willing to pay up front to make sure that we could be there. They were also the guys who helped us remodel, helped us clean, helped us paint, helped us move equipment. So what we've done from the beginning was to create a, an environment where people feel like they not only are getting something from the group, but that they are needed to give something back to the group. And that theme has carried through to even how we run our operations today. Oh, yeah. Sounds like you created a really strong community and also made it a creative way to uh, build up some startup capital. There were two, two of our friends who, who paid in full for that year, Ryan and Zach. And Ryan, to this day, is one of our employees. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, a brown belt in judo. He trains, he works. In fact, I just saw him at the gym this morning. Even though we're officially closed for the coronavirus shelter in place, my family, we still go down to the gym to lift weights in the morning. And Ryan's there cleaning and getting caught up on maintenance projects. And then Zach is, is still around. He lives in a different city now, but still trains. And those two have been loyal from day one, and they will be until the day they die. That's awesome. It's also nice. I, I live in a sort of urban area near New York City. It's, it's nice to hear about just the community feel of that. And I, I, I see that really is what has kept your gym strong. So how many members do you guys have now in maybe per we, location? So in Kalispell is our largest location. That was the first location. And we have 457 members. I know that number specifically because my husband and I contacted every single member last Sunday to check in, to make sure that they saw a video that we had recorded, just discussing what our strategy was during the, the COVID closure. So 457 in Kalispell, we have 200 and I want to say 240-ish in Whitefish and another 260 in Missoula. And Kalispell's 11 years old, Whitefish is five years old, and Missoula just celebrated two years. Is uh, Kalispell, how many, how much square feet did that end up being? 7,000. Wow, so you did the whole building then? We did. We purchased the whole building eight years ago, eight years ago. That's awesome. Has that worked out really well for you guys from like a expense and tax perspective? 
100%. And what we, because we were able to purchase that building, it wasn't, I would say, at rock bottom recession price, but it was definitely at a good time in the market. Now we have a considerable amount of equity in that building. And that's what allowed us to purchase our Missoula building as well and our Whitefish building. We have a partner in our Whitefish building, but it's what really kickstarted our investment portfolio. Wow. That's exciting. So it's also your three fitness businesses are actually also part of your real estate portfolio because you have equity in them. hundred percent. That's cool. Well, that's, that's smart. And I think a lot of people that would aspire to that when opening these additional locations, you must've felt very confident that you could replicate the model and, and the operations. What are the things you feel operationally make it have made it successful for you to open two other locations, which is, it's quite a feat. That's, that's hard. And let me just clarify our, in our other two locations, we have junior partners and that's actually was a key component in the success of those two locations because the overriding theme, like I said before, really of the international organization, but definitely the underlying glue of our day-to-day operations really is tribe people not only our members but our staff has to feel 100% committed to what we're doing and we have to all understand and everyone understands and agrees that it's about more than just the training it's about more than just yoga fitness jujitsu MMA it's really about the team and it's about the tribe one of the first books that I read just because I love this author and coincidentally I read this book at a time when we were just opening the first location, but Alain de Botan wrote a book called religion for atheists. And basically it's a philosophical and kind of sociological accounting of how churches are more than just places of worship that what a church, the need that a church fulfills in any given community is a place where people can gather where people can celebrate, where people can mourn together, where people can appreciate art, where people can basically live their lives, so to speak, from end to end. And it was a powerful book for me to read at that time because I thought, you know, that's really what every place, whether it was a gym or a social group or even an apartment building, any place that I've really felt like I belonged to a group I also have felt a sense of devotion to to the people within that group. So our junior partners in both the Kalispell and Whitefish location, or sorry, in the Missoula and Whitefish locations are 100% devoted to the training method. They've come up, in fact, Gus in our Missoula location, he's one of my husband's first black belts, Gus's wife, Becca, is a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. Daniel, who is our junior partner in the Whitefish location, he's also one of my husband's black belts. So they they know what it means to train the SBG way, but more importantly, they're devoted to the Montana tribe, the Montana team. That's important not only in running day-to-day operations, but it's also important in relaying that and almost onboarding new students to that sort of that sort of philosophy. Yeah, that seems really smart. So the two junior partners or the one for each location, did they train 
at your gym for a while and then become inspired and approach you or you approach them? They trained for a while with us and they approached us. We're going to open a fourth location in Bozeman in the next couple of years. And again, that's another one of my husband's students who's approached him. Yeah. So what do you tell them now regarding startup costs? I mean, what, what do you estimate and about what size do you tell them to find? And also, are you guys always going to, are you always trying to buy the building now? Is that your, your process? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, we, in the Whitefish location, we rented for the first five years. We actually just recently purchased that building mm. and it's kind of what we call the McDonald's model where, you know, if you've, if you will, if you know about, the history of McDonald's, they're really not so much a restaurant franchise as they are a real estate company that runs restaurants on their, in their facilities. My, our goal, my husband and I, our goal long-term is to leave a legacy, not just for our children, but also our children, our families, our grandchildren, but also for the people who are involved with our day-to-day gym. So if I drop dead tomorrow, God help us, I know that someone will be there to pick up what I'm doing now, not just because they know how to do it, but they also know why it's important. Part of just the nuts and bolts of that legacy is that business really can come and go, and particularly fitness businesses can come and go with the trends. I mean, we can think back to so many fitness businesses that have, tra- that have had to change over the years. And, you know, it seemed like everybody had a, a CrossFit gym however many years ago, and now they've every time one dies, two more pop up because those people are committed to the CrossFit way of doing things, but maybe not necessarily the, the business itself. So in order for us, what we decided was in order for us to build this legacy, to be able to leave behind real estate was what we knew best. And also real estate is a long-term investment. So I knew that it was going to be around for much longer than just my lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. For the real estate, do you does your company buy the real estate the, the building and then your junior partner is a co-owner in only the business it's only the gym business itself? Correct. And in the case of so our development company Davison Development, we that's the company that owns investment properties. Iron Star, which is our residential construction company, we will build homes, whether it's uh, spec homes to sell, custom homes for custom clients, or we build our own projects to hold. Then what we have, each individual gym is a separate LLC with junior partners, and the junior partners buy in at a 20% level for X number of dollars, and that can be anywhere from sixty to 100000 depending on what we think the startup costs are going to be. They don't put any more money in, but as they meet certain milestones, their percentage holding in the company increases. So they're rewarded with equity in the company for their success in day-to-day operations. Then the, bu- the building that we purchase in Missoula is owned by my personal company, Davis Development. And when we purchase another building, because we've outgrown that Missoula building, then we will partner with those junior partners on that real estate investment. Hmm. They, Gus and Becca and, and Daniel in our Whitefish location, we've partnered with him to purchase the building that we moved that business into. They are family in many ways. They're as much a part of 
building this statewide and really international organization as we are. And so very much it's important to us that we also build that legacy for them and with them. That's interesting because I completely agree that you have to have a tribe, someone who's just super committed and and actually has some sweat in the game when opening the business. But I've never thought about making them have sweat in the game for the building, which takes it to a whole nother level. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's not easy. It's a partnership in business is no different than a partnership in, in marriage or a friendship or you know, a parent-child relationship or anything, a student-coach relationship, because there's lots to negotiate. There's, everyone has to agree on what we're all bringing to the table and everyone has to bring a certain amount of value to the table. In the case of the partnership for the businesses, what Travis and I bring to the table is the systems, the experience, the reputation. There's, it's rare that we faced the situation in any of the new, the two new locations that we hadn't faced before at least once in our existing location. So that level of experience has value to it. Might not be a monetary value or that monetary value might be a moving target, but it has value. Yeah, absolutely. For the, the, I was super curious about and it sounded really smart how you guys did the junior partners. You mentioned 20% and they would bring uh-huh. in 60 to hundred K. How much do you guys bring in? Because I know part of your value is your experience and that makes a lot of sense. In both cases, what we brought to the table was our experience, but then we also in Missoula, for example, we purchased the building. So we were on the hook for the actual real estate that that, Jim was moving into. Again, in especially in these markets, you would think in Northwest Montana that real estate would be really cheap and easy, and it's just not. It's actually quite expensive to construct things here, and existing buildings often need a lot of updating and maintenance work to bring everything up to code in order to be able to open a commercial location. Mm-hmm. So that's in both cases, that's what we brought to the table. Mm, okay. Does the business entity still pay, uh, the gym entity still pay rent to? At yes. Least? Okay. So you still pay yep. rent. Mm-hmm. But in both cases, we are, because we're the owners of the building, we're not looking to make a profit. We're looking to for ha- the expenses to be covered. And there's a little bit more leeway there for, for example, we did a stair step uh, lease agreement with the Missoula building, knowing full well that it was going to take a year to build up a membership to be able to support market value for rent. So the first, I can't remember exactly how it broke down, but basically the first six months, there was no rent. The next six months, it was like 30% market value. And then we stepped up from there. So now two years later, Missoula is paying, the Missoula gym business is paying market value for rent. Yeah. I know that you mentioned $750 for 750 square feet. What is rent now? What is rent like now? And like maybe Missoula? So Missoula, it's anywhere and, you know, uh, commercial lease rates are anywhere from 12 to $18 a foot annually include. And then triple nets on top of that. So you're looking anywhere from, you know, basically a dollar to a dollar fifty a foot. And then your triple nets on top of that would include taxes, which are really quite high. 
taxes, insurance, and whatever maintenance is required on the building. I'm telling you right now, commercial real estate is the way to go. There's just, you basically, once you own the property, your, you know, the leasee takes care of everything. Yeah. And it's kind of really smart. I once had looked at a building to buy and there was a commercial uh, space, but it was such an interesting space that I was worried about finding a tenant. And I thought if I could just create a business, it automatically increase its value. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that's how you guys priced in your purchase, but were you then able, because you're buying a vacant building, were you able to get a good discount on it? No, and actually in Whitefish location, we did negotiate a, a decent deal there. And in our Missoula location, we were also able to negotiate. A- again, because my background is in real estate and development and construction, I've, I realize now that I do have a strong skill set there. What I think the, the key is to be creative and to be also very honest and upfront. Look, we want to purchase the building. We're going to put a brand new business in it. Are you willing to carry the contract for the first year? In the case, in both cases, actually, the, that we purchased those buildings from, actually all three cases, the owners owned the buildings outright. They didn't have any mortgages on them. And in that case, then an owner can carry a contract. So you're not involving a bank. You could have a smaller down payment. You might pay a little bit more in interest, but that gives us in that scenario, then we've got a year or two years or three years to be able to build equity and to do the improvements so that when it is time to refinance, not only do we have a strong application because we have a business that's paying rent, but we also have some equity built because the market has increased or, and, or we've put improvements in place. And that's, that's what then the, lending institutions are really looking for is they want they want a strong all-around picture of this building hey thanks for listening oh i have three freebies number one get your full edited transcription with bullet points of the key lessons from today's show on our website fitnesssecrets.co that's fitnesssecrets with an s at the end.co While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, which gets you access to our monthly freebie marketing and operations content that you can use for your own fitness business. Freebie number two. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player by hitting the subscribe button. Since the show happens because of listeners like you, could you also leave a review? If you email us your review at support at fitnesssecrets.co, you'll receive a complimentary one-hour coaching call with me and a $150 credit towards the first challenge that we will be releasing soon. Finally, freebie number three. We started the Fitness Secrets Facebook group. I know thinking and designing of new marketing campaigns, planning out your operations each month for your fitness clients is exhausting. Our goal is for the group to help you plan out your marketing, plan out your operations so you can get more clients efficiently. To join, go to facebook.com and search Fitness Business Secrets. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode.